Welcome to the Loop Podcast. I'm your host, John Beck, Global Head of Paid at Cognizin, and I'm delighted to be joined by my guest, Kieran Mayers, Head of Marketing at Pager. How are you, Kieran? Yeah, I'm good. Very good. It's Friday morning, almost at the weekend, so yeah, almost time to, to wind down a little bit. Yeah, actually, this Friday has been a long week, isn't it? Uh, you feel? Uh, it's a, It's been a funny one. It's half term, so I've got two young kids who have been uh, in and around the house this week, so it's added a bit of stress levels. Um, fortunately, my wife's just taken them to the park because I said I was recording this, so <laughs> we we won't get any appearing in the background. We might get a dog, but there'll be no children. Yeah, dogs are encouraged. <laughs> So I'd like to actually start with something that really interests me. Like uh, you are one of those rare marketers that have been focusing on the similar industry. Like I check your uh, LinkedIn account and yeah. it feels like you have been working in the recruiter marketing for a long time and in a lot of different companies. How yeah. do you like that? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. If you ask a professional in the recruitment industry how they how they chose recruitment the stock answer is they fell into it um, they never they never went out of their way to pick a job in recruitment for me slightly different i did study marketing i got out of university with a marketing degree and it was a simple case of yeah i've got a degree but i need an entry level job because i've got no real world experience um post university started applying for those entry level jobs and the two i got offered one was a clothing uh, manufacturer and distributor. The other was a recruitment agency, and the recruitment agency was paying a bit more. So at early twenties, uh, every pound and penny counted. So I went for the recruitment agency. So there was no design; it was just first career opportunity ultimately. And now, uh, how many companies has it been? That's, That's a great question. So there's. I guess the thing is, it's changed with respect to the the type of organization. So starting out working at actual recruitment agencies. Um, so all in all, I worked at three recruitment agencies. Um, then I left in-house work to join a marketing agency, but the agency was set up to service recruitment agencies. So similar skill set, but doing it on a consultancy or a retained basis on behalf of other companies. So then you kind of get the experience of I probably worked with 50 plus different recruitment companies in in that three-year period working at an agency. And then latterly, still servicing uh, or still targeting recruitment companies, but now working for a a software platform uh, with the same target audience. So although same industry, I've had quite a a varied, um, I guess, list of roles within that. And uh, between these companies, do you think uh, your strategies would work in each of these companies the strategies you already created in one company would work in another company for the same persona agency marketing agency over to software as a service that audience hasn't differed the tactics other than it being um almost like service-led at the marketing agency versus software as a service the actual tactics and things are deployed there's been continuation I think when I was in-house at recruitment companies, that was very different. You're you're looking at different landscapes because of the fact that you're targeting candidates for that agency. You're targeting new business and clients for that agency. 
you're also doing a lot of employer brand marketing, trying to attract new people to work for that company. So it's a it's a funny marketing role working at a recruitment agency because you've got three core markets to consider. And often you're working with a very sales led and sales there's a sales backbone throughout a recruitment company. Uh, so the marketers split three ways, but not heavily resourced. It's a it's a tough gig. Um, so that was very different. Working at a marketing agency and now a software company, I would say you're more in the realms of traditional B2B marketing rather than spread three ways as such. Interesting. Interesting. Like, uh, because when I think about my own uh, career, like, okay, I try to market technical SEO people, which was so weird because they don't like marketing, but also they <laughs> somehow love ebooks. Uh, I marketed developers. Apparently, one thing I learned about marketing developers is that they hate S. Like, if they see an ad, they think, okay, the product must be awful. Uh, like they need to see the see the product uh, organically. They need to see it from a community. Uh, but now I'm marketing to marketers and salespeople. Very easy compared to technical salespeople compared to developers. Very easy. Yeah. Like salespeople love marketing. Marketing people love good marketing. And uh, for me, it feels now easy. Uh, on your side, how would you describe marketing to recruiters? Like, how do you think it is different than, let's say, marketing to marketeers? That's a good question. It's interesting as well because the type of businesses we target are a range of size. So the smaller the recruitment agency, and that can be right down to a one-person agency, one person through to perhaps 20 people, there doesn't tend to be a marketer, so you are marketing to sales, pure sales. Above 20 heads, they tend to have an in-house marketer, and they will fall into our targeting as well. That bit is way easier to come up with ideas, to come up with creatives and content, because it's me marketing to me a few years ago, and I think that aligns with exactly what you're saying. Marketing to sales personas within the recruitment industry I still feel there's a skepticism around marketing's value and we know when we're being marketed to. I would say that there's openness, especially when you do stuff that's a bit novel or creative, you tend to get engagement. It can fall in, I wouldn't say negative, it can fall into being challenged by salespeople. But I think because they tend to be extroverted, it actually forms a good level of engagement, even if they're challenging what you say, like I've had plenty of, um, I wouldn't go controversial, but negative comments on paid ads where I've used certain imagery or memes. And that kind of provokes conversation, not always, it's almost like that, that doesn't make sense or whatever, but it starts a conversation. They've picked up engagement with our company, so I can now continue that marketing journey with that person. So if I'm marketing to marketers, totally agree with you, it's easier because you are the persona. Marketing to salespeople, I think I'm lucky because I've worked with so many in such a sales-focused uh, environment over the years. Um, it's not quite Wolf of Wall Street at a recruitment agency, but it can be quite. Uh, people stood up walking around on the phones because apparently your posture means a lot on a sales call. And uh, let's take a step back and talk about pager then. Uh, you said yeah. you are now targeting salespeople in some some way. You are targeting marketing people. You are also targeting recruiters. How uh, can Pager help all of these personas? Okay, so as a platform, Pager, we we almost split into 
four sections. So I would say two of those sections are very sales related and sales enablement focused. Um, one being tools that will assist uh, a salesperson do business development. So how it will help them find potential targets. So uh, an easy example to give people not familiar with the industry, a recruitment agency wants to support an end employer, hire people and get paid for it. So pager enables them to run searches and get alerts for jobs that are being advertised in their industry by end employers. That straight away gives a salesperson an inroad to that business to say, oh, I can see you're looking for a head of paid. I've got some people like that in my network, so on and so forth. So pager enables sales through that way. On the candidate side, candidate attraction is obviously huge for a recruiter. They want to build their network of candidates. So what we provide is an ability to, to build the individual salesperson's brand on things like LinkedIn. So um, heavily related to content suggestions, providing them with news feeds in their industry, and then making it pretty slick for them to be able to share content. So we can do it by email or even uh, what feels old school now, but works very well is sending a text message in the morning to one of our users, basically saying, here's an article that we've written for you or we've augmented from a news source. Would you like to share that on your LinkedIn? The recruiter hits yes. Their post is there for the day. It's pretty cool. Um, and that's where the name comes from. So the initial uh, pager as such that I believe doctors still use these days, but not many, many other people do. It was that ease of getting something into the pocket and in the noise of an email inbox for a recruiter, we find an SMS gets way more traction. All they got to do is reply yes. And they've posted on LinkedIn with something that the system has kind of created for them. Uh, they pre-program it and uh, build, their, uh, build their prompts for AI writing. They put in the news sources, but it just removes the friction and the kind of apprehension a salesperson's got from posting. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. And when we, okay, let's think about this process. I get a text message and I say yes, and it all happens. And uh, is the marketing team or is, is there a team that tracks and monitors the metrics here? Like uh, how many people click yes, uh, or if people don't click yes, how you can make them click yes? How, how did that process work? Yeah, so I think I covered the kind of the two sales focus pillars, what we do for that. For the larger agency, part of the product is is wrapped around all that. So you've got all of your sales personas and other employees too, individually posting to LinkedIn and sharing uh, industry specific stuff. But the wrapper around that is where your, your admin persona or in many cases, a marketer manages the platform around that. And what they will do is share specific stuff. So if the marketing team's created a white paper, a blog, a video, they can syndicate that to the recruiters and then they share that content as well. That marketing persona tends to be the one that monitors the reporting in the product as well. So they're seeing who's sharing what, what engagement and response rates they've got, how they're interacting with the products and the text messages. So they, you know, the, if you've got that persona in-house, it's not just the end tool. It's what we want as marketers, that ability to look at, is it actually being used? If it's being used, which users are using it well? If they're using it well, can they become the champion within the organization? And it almost becomes cyclical. The more the individual does, the more the team performs, and then we're feeding back to them their data 
Um, as you can imagine, LinkedIn is the sweet spot for the majority of recruiters. So that tends to be our focus on um, increased engagement with user personas as the way to build the, the overall company brand rather than just shouting from the business brand. Amazing. Uh, and on the marketing side, uh, when you run the campaigns, and actually not only the campaigns, as a marketing team, what are your success metrics? Okay, so um, we're, we're pretty basic. Uh, revenue. So we're, we're, you know, but the way we work is very much aligned to if we're performing, that will mean sales are demoing our platform to ICP customers to the right target, whether that's a marketer at a, a bigger organization or whether it's the owner, founder, at a smaller organization. We're lining up demos and if they're the right kind of demos that convert, we watch that. Uh, recurring revenue coming in based on the stuff we've directly sourced. So if someone responds to an ad that we're running, the demo gets booked and that revenue comes through. I allocate that revenue uh, as a as a metric against the marketing function. And then assisted stuff, I tend to take a really simplistic view of this. Anything the sales team brings in that we've assisted, uh, for example, in-person event, we exhibit at an event, sales team book demos on the day, um, I just add 50% of anything we assisted to our metrics. We split them, so I'm not adding all that in. I'm saying primary source business, this is how much marketing brought in last month and what I class as assisted. So if the personal brand of a, of a sales guy on or a sales girl on our team um, pulls in a lead from a direct LinkedIn inbound message, the marketing team often has created that, scheduled it using our own product, on the salesperson's behalf. So if they get an inbound lead from that, again, I would say 50% supported by marketing. So we've got two really basic metrics, revenue we bring in and 50% of the revenue we support to bring in. Uh, the second part is actually interesting. Like I love the concept and I love the simplicity. Uh, and yeah, I'm a big fan of not overcomplicating things. And okay, every marketing team should be measured by revenue. Yeah. And obviously, marketing does not only bring direct revenue but it influences the outbound revenue uh how were you able to convince them for the 50 50 split because uh <laughs> it's something that i both experienced and heard from uh, other companies like if for example there's an event uh and the sales people convert uh, those leads from the event i have never heard that they would agree for 50 like I heard 25% marketing, yeah. marketing, but never heard 50. I think it's it's born out of us still being in our infancy, if I'm completely honest, with regards to how marketing supports sales. There will be like events, a funny one, isn't it? That's quite a binary thing. Whereas some of the other stuff could very much be influenced or three marketing touches versus five sales outreach touches. What we did is kind of extrapolate that and just go anything that's not direct for this year, as you know, I've only been at the company since February, we're just going to call it 50%. We only do two events a year. Uh, they are big recruitment focused events, one in March, one in October. So they're quite balanced throughout the calendar. So all the stuff that falls in between that might be 80% marketing, might even be 90% marketing. We still say if there's an influence from sales in there, it's a 50-50. It probably will change over time where we go, okay, marketing assisted falls into subcategories. 
And if it's this subcategory, like an event, that might well become 80, 90% sales, 10, 20% marketing. But just as a real simplistic view this year, um, it's worked because it showed us, okay, we can only do these two events a year because they're the ones that are really focused on our ICP directors of business are turning up to. Um, it'll work. It'll give us a measure of whether it's good, bad or indifferent. Keep it simple. <laughs> This should be the motto. Keep it uh, simple. <laughs> And speaking of simplicity, uh, how many people are there in your team? And how does the uh, structure look like? Uh, there's three of us in the marketing team. So feels relatively small, but we're a 40 headcount business. So I think I think it feels right. Um, the structure of the team is quite interesting. We are what I'd class as very heavily weighted towards technical marketing, where You know, if you, you were to look at our website and our visual stuff, it's good. We've got someone in the team that can design, but design and aesthetic takes, um, I guess, second place when it comes to our approach to marketing. We're very much aligned to what can we do to achieve results. We can make it prettier. We can spend more time on it. But right now, we've got to prove our value as revenue generating. So we never overthink, is it perfect? Um It's a hard lesson I've learned throughout my career that done is better than perfect with marketing. So stuff's a bit scrappy. It's a bit rough around the edges. Um, let it go. Get it in the marketplace. See if it yields results. So that technical leaning, what it means to me is we don't really have marketers that overthink the, the aesthetics. We have marketers that try and get things done always with a view of before we publish a campaign, before we go to the market, Is it going to get tracked properly? Is it aligned to the CRM? Is there an automation that's going to let the salesperson know right now in Slack that they can act on this? That takes priority over the the visual, the aesthetic. It's not to say I'm not conscious of that, but over time, I think that's the, the icing and the cherry on the cake. Get the back-end engine running, uh, and then you can make it glossier on the front. Yeah, I think this is such an important thing. Yeah, done is better than perfect. And just like you said, it took a lot of time for me to understand that. Yeah. Uh, and like, as long as you can uh, get the basic stuff running, as, as you said, like, okay, if you can track, perfect. If you can make sure that uh, it will be uh, it will be on the sales side, the sales people will be approaching those lists, perfect. Uh, but especially on the design side, yes, it doesn't need to be perfect. Mm. In the content side, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to tell you, uh, tell the audience what you are trying to achieve. Like, we are not enterprise companies. We don't have, I don't know, 100 people in the marketing team. We don't That's have it. Yeah, three months uh, approval process for a campaign. It is just, you got to be scrappy and you got to launch the campaign or you got to launch the whole strategy in a week. I was speaking with someone uh, who worked at Google for like three years. Now he's working in a startup as a head of paid. And he's like, I used to spend six months just to plan a campaign, then two <laughs> months to launch it. And yeah. here in this startup, I learned how to do it in a day. And yeah. he's like, okay, I'm still learning that it doesn't need to be perfect. Uh, but and he was like, it takes a lot of time to learn this mindset yeah. uh, and once you adopt it obviously it is so good but the process of this adoption 
takes it a tough time. Agreed. Totally agree. I'm still on that learning curve as well. Um, I think what's massively benefited me um, and kind of sped up that process over the last few months is now working directly for a, a CEO and founder that is agile by nature. Uh, he'd probably agree that he's somewhat impatient, uh, but I'd say that's in a positive way. He's probably thinking, having worked with me for a good few months now, that I can be a, b- a bit too conservative. Um, and that's born out of a career where marketing's never been seen as revenue generating. So you always want to make sure the visuals, the aesthetics are spot on because nobody's valuing the behind the scenes. They're valuing what it looks like in the market. That's totally different at a small software company where the the founder is like, no, no, we need to test. Is this going to... Is this going to go in this market? Get it out there and see if it's not. Pull it back. Don't worry about it. Move on. That's such an important topic. Uh, and maybe you saw, I posted something uh, last week about marketing being soft skill. Marketing was regarded as a soft skill for you. Yeah. And everyone yeah. thought that marketing was about design, creativity. And this comes with something that everyone would have an idea. <laughs> uh, some random guy would come and say, did we think about sponsoring that event? The other guy would be like, did we think of writing a white paper? Uh, but if that uh, mindset comes from the top, in your case, from CEO, in my case, it is from my CMO and CEO, uh, you can actually show what marketing actually means. It is yeah. not only the creativity, it is not only uh, beautiful designs, but how marketing can be a revenue generator. Uh, and for that, like, uh, I feel like if a CEO is a sales heavy person or if they're a sales person, they automatically assume that marketing should be helping sales with designs, with collaterals, with sales enablement. enablement. Yeah. But in my experience, if the CEO is like, I don't know, has a development background, has a technical background, they are more likely to accept the fact that marketing can contribute to revenue. Yeah, I think they're they're born from concepts of agility and minimum vi- minimum viable products. That kind of mindset and approach um, lends itself well to modern marketing or technical marketing. I think somewhat more aligned to even finance and tech than design and aesthetics. And again, I'm not discrediting the value of great design. I'm an advocate of it. But I think there's an order of things when you're when you're having to fight that battle of proving marketing's worth. It's the archetypal tip of the iceberg thing, the tip of the iceberg that everyone sees and has an opinion on. But all the background stuff, like honestly, the the time we spent getting meeting URLs set up right for salespeople, so making sure the meeting domain is right, making sure they actually link to calendars. All that stuff nobody really thinks about or considers when they think of marketing. But that's what I think of when I'm thinking, okay, if we get someone sees that ad and clicks through and wants to book a demo, what experience are they having on that demo page when they're picking a time? Is the URL like a a rough and ready scrappy default URL? Or is it something meaningful to us as a company and that person you're booking the meeting with? That's what I think about when I think of aesthetics and design, not the the spend too much time on the ad, get the ad running and make sure the process and the experience is not perfect, but good enough. Amazing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Yeah, like because when I think about, as you said, the experience is more important than one 
color or one design and yeah. marketers need to be focusing on the complete journey rather than small parts and rather than making small parts perfect yeah yeah how many times have we seen the great ad and the terrible uh form or website that you land on straight away you're done that's wasted ad spend i'd rather have two fields on a black and white page and that'd be that yeah actually uh i had the experience i don't even remember the name of the company like it happened either yesterday or two days ago i saw this linkedin net. it was actually really good linkedin net, uh about forecasting the growth uh and forecasting the marketing spend perfect i clicked on it uh and apparently the website uh was us focused and okay. you can only book a demo or see the product with live chat but for live chat you need to accept all of the cookies in order to book a demo I'm yeah like, okay normally i accept all of the cookies however if i need to accept all of the cookies just to book a demo i'm not for it no uh, and it's so obvious that okay the website was good the ad was good every everyone probably worked hard on that all uh design but nobody tested the actual user journey like, yeah it's okay. friction yeah straight away people are people are scarce of time it's like oh Imagine if that's a mobile device and then the cookie pop-up is the full screen. It, it, it's where there's a disconnect, I'd say, Wade. And maybe this is a problem that businesses encounter when they get bigger is everyone within marketing becomes siloed. You do the design, you do this, you do the form. No one person goes through the journey. Um, and we've seen that, again, it's a really basic thing, but booking a meeting where we're then asking, by default, the platform we're using is asking people to tick three boxes were like whoa we didn't we didn't see that at first because we didn't actually fill the form in ourselves so we pushed it live then tested it and went well we need to change this because that friction there to book a meeting um in this case it was actually existing user who we've got the data from and the permissions from it's because we changed the platform we changed the platform and didn't realize that additional step is there by default so you have to test it you have to be the person you're marketing to and go through the motions yeah de definitely and when we think about this process like okay maybe the booking form doesn't work maybe uh you cannot uh book a demo because of the experience but when those teams actually look at the campaign measure the success they would probably think that okay something is wrong on the website something is wrong on the ad people are not converting uh, and although the ad is good although the website is good they will probably miss this problem yeah yeah you your you gut instinct says the creative's no good the messaging's no good again that's the tip of the iceberg stuff rather than the under the surface the mechanics and the technical aspects that i think a lot of functions don't perceive as being marketing yeah yeah de definitely and it's such an important point like I have to go through all of my website now uh, to make sure that the experience uh, is done. And actually, in your case, do you have a structure like that? Like, uh, do you check your website, uh, I don't know, every month to see the experience, to see everything is working? I'm probably going to hang myself out to dry now by saying <laughs> we do. But I, I guarantee you could go on there and find something. You could find something that can be improved. Um, so... Again, being scrappy, we've probably inherited things that were created before our time, the current team, that we've not line-by-line line check in the back end of the website what pages are live, what blogs have got what calls to action, 
and they could quite easily be stuff that if you did go through that painstaking process, you'll go, oh, wow, that, that's misleading or that link is broken. Um, so I wouldn't profess to be perfect. Um, but yeah, we're always conscious of it. But I think any website's the same, even if you've got a full-time person just thinking about a website, you would still trip up over a, an old blog post here and there or a broken link. Uh, yeah, you're right, though. Some form of process to safeguard that is definitely something I'd like to put in place. Yeah, like, I think there will always be a problem with, as you said, a blog post, uh, something on the website. But, yeah, better than perfect. If the, your forms are working, yeah. you can send the hot intent stuff to your salespeople. You can report everything to CRM. Okay, your, I don't know, blog post might have a typo or you might have something yeah. that is not working on the website. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. Five years ago, I'd have, I'd have really worried about that. Yeah, I think uh, it just takes time to get used to it. And when I, so I advise sometimes first time founders and when there's a problem dating, it is the end of the world. Yeah. Like the problems will happen. They are happening. They did happen before. They will happen mm -hmm. in, in the future. And you cannot prevent every problem. You just need to prioritize which problem to solve. And if yeah. the problem does not impact your whole business, then let it be. Yes. Yeah. Burn. Yeah. Have a have a almost like a vision that the the route from A to B, the direct route. If you if you're able to get through that direct route, and there's lots of things going on around the edges that kind of like could intervene but aren't intervening, then keep going. You're okay. If stuff starts creeping in that oh blocks people getting down that route. That's where the problem comes in, isn't it? The typo here versus the broken link in the journey. Yeah. It's quite clear to see which one's the actual problem there. Uh, as long as the typo is not controversial or um, going to upset someone, then I think we can all, we can all uh, sleep at night. <laughs> and speaking of these problems, uh, I would like to ask you a question about your experiments. Like, is there an experiment that you were very optim optimistic about, you were very hopeful about, but just didn't work or just had a massive problem? Um, there's probably been a lot <laughs> in <laughs> truth. Um, in the, in the recent past, um, and I know this is a topic that you're familiar with and way more experienced than me in, um, something I was confident that would really work where we're quite invested in, um, retargeting ads and utilizing specifically LinkedIn for uh, paid journeys. So pick up some engagement early on and then retarget the people that engage and change the messaging as that, as that level of engagement increases over time. Something I was really like convinced would have a high conversion rate is showing the product in a retargeting app. So let's say you stumble upon one of our early ads, you've never heard of us, and you engage with that ad and it's quite it's quite high level messaging we can make you more efficient you're a recruiter we make you more efficient and they acknowledge it we retarget them with maybe some of the feature level stuff you can you know automate a lot of your social media activity we can give you job alerts so they're starting to get the next layer my gut told me after people engage with that let's show them show them around the product in the next layer of advertising so our ceo creates a lot of screen recordings, Loom style videos. I don't know if I'm allowed to say Loom, but I did. 
Vidyard's also also available. Um, he's in the bottom corner. You know, he's very passionate about the product. He built it. He knows how to use it inside out. He shows the screen share of the features being used. And we're not showing these to cold audiences. We're showing them to nurtured, engaged audience. It just flopped. No one engaged. No one converted. No one booked a demo. I was like, you would anticipate someone at that point wants to see the product. But I feel, in retrospect, we're still serving that up in an environment like LinkedIn. And if you think about why a recruiter goes to LinkedIn, it will often be because they've got like a paid license to go and headhunt or they go in there to connect with someone. So our earlier adverts work and capture a brief amount of engagement in the short term, but expecting someone to watch a 30 second product tour, even if the feature would be invaluable to them, they're still not there to be served up that. They, they, will, they will anticipate that once they've booked the demo, right? But I just feel like I, the mentality around that experiment, I was so convinced that was the right thing. And then the proof was there at that third stage, we're actually better off pushing book a demo, not here's the product now book a demo, just go straight into it because they're aware of who you are and what you do. Allow our sales team, our account executives to do the demo right because the persons give up their time. You're not interrupting their time. Uh, so yeah, I'd say that's the the one uh, I would have, I wouldn't say I'd put my mortgage on it, but I was highly confident <laughs> that it was going to yield a lot of conversions and it just didn't, it fell flat. Yeah, very interesting actually, because yeah, I have been doing the same thing. Uh, and so product, you show the product, it, somehow they didn't engage with this. And again, for me, it just doesn't make sense. I would definitely feel the same thing. So you solved that problem by showing the demo as instead of product. Yeah, just call to action, just book a demo with us because wow. then they go through and they commit half an hour of their time. We've got their interest already. I mean, before we ran that layer, we were running the directs. And I'm not saying direct book a demo to cold audiences, capture their attention first, engage them a couple of times, and then say, book a demo. That worked, worked well. My theory was if we put something in between those two stages that shows them the product, that would generate even more interest. And it just didn't. It was almost like not ready for that bit yet. Um, it's not to say that that wouldn't work in some instances, whether it be your product's more visually appealing in a small ad or your market's different, right? So the recruiter is going to LinkedIn to serve a purpose. Recruiters tend to be very sales-focused, short attention span, jumping from one task to the next. So in hindsight, I was like, right, I get this. They're not the type of persona that's going to dwell on LinkedIn and give you 30 seconds. But if you hook them and they go, right, I'll book a demo for Friday afternoon when I'm quiet, that works. Very like In our case, it is the opposite. Yeah, marketers uh, will give you the time, right? Yeah. Uh, but like we need to warm them up, warm them up. Like I have yeah. a lot of layers. Like I have the social proof layer, I have the product layer and they need to be engaging. I have the document at layer. Uh, and it's so interesting how these actual personas differ uh, when they show their actions. Very interesting. It is, uh, I'm, in your, I'm in your layers. I go through the motions of what you're oh, doing and you. I'm interested in it. So I've looked at your ad library, um, and pure coincidence, our sales team's been researching products like yours, plus 
other products in the market and we've onboarded with Cognizant this week. So pure coincidence, me being on here. But when it was brought up in Definitely a board meeting, coincidence. <laughs> um, when it was brought up in a, a you know a, a senior meeting probably two months ago, it was predominantly the sales sales team, CEO, CFO that had been looking at sales enablement tools. I wasn't really aware they were looking until this meeting, and then Cognizant gets brought up. I'm not saying I'm not engaged with any of your competitors' marketing, oh. but I'm a hundred percent in the layers that you've just described. I've bought Alice's book as an example. So I'm bought into it. That then gets brought up in a meeting by not me. And I'm like, yeah, Cognizant's great from a marketing perspective. I didn't know we were interested in the product. You, you can see how it works, can't you? But my persona is totally different than theirs. Yeah, so I've seen your podcast. I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn. I've looked at the ads library. I've bought Alice's book, all this stuff all the while as the marketing persona I had no idea my business was interested in buying but then i'm sat in a meeting when they're talking about you and competitors and my feedback is oh i love their marketing i might not have to say any more than that i'm not saying that made the decision but you see how buying committees come together then and then when you put yourself in your audience's shoes like that you know it works yeah, de definitely. And it is such an interesting concept because, okay, no matter how we track the user journey, buyer journey, how we track the all attribution, this is something that we can never find out. Uh, yeah, It's not linear, is it? It's just not linear. Yeah, and it won't be like, it will never be linear. Again, like, even though we track all of the podcast mentions, even though we track all yeah. of the uh, self-report attribution, Okay, there's Kieran, apparently he got involved into this discussion and he said great word about Cognizant. Perfect. So that's direct feedback for you there, it's working. Perfect. And uh, in your case, what are the new stuff that you are currently testing and uh, what are the results that you are getting? It's hard not to, I don't want to make this a sales pitch about you guys, but one of the newest things is the platform. So we're now um, looking at that from a marketing perspective, sales have gone head first, made the decision. And I'm like, great, we now get access to data I never envisaged towards the end of this year. So some of my theories around what um, higher quality data can do for the marketing, straight away, you know, I've, I've invested a lot of time in building out campaigns on LinkedIn. They are very much defined by direct demo bookings so we get demos booked great, but what about all that audience that engaged but didn't book a demo, right? So I'm able to see the companies that have engaged. What can I now do in Cognizant? I can identify who's at those companies. I can identify if they're on our CRM system. Whether they are or they aren't, I've got the capability to now reach out to them in ways and on a scale that marketing doesn't. So I'm not going to just start doing cold outreach. I'm doing outreach to people that have engaged with our ads on a different channel. So that is high on my agenda. It's literally something I screen recorded before this call and sent to my boss, basically saying, now we've got this tech stack. Here's some of the stuff we could start to do that, you know, people talk about MQLs and lead gen as being a little bit old school, but Direct demo bookings drives revenue, but there is a full layer of people with awareness of us who we can now shortcut on another channel. So my next like big thing is experimentation with email campaigns to people who have engaged with ads. 
I dare say often people do that the other way around. They'll take their engaged email list and run ads to that. I'm going to try and flip it and test that. So, uh, yeah, that's the direction, the next step as such. And it quite nicely uh, brings how you guys, you know, the product that you build sits in nicely to a marketing tech stack, not just a sales development or a sales enablement tool. Yeah, this is actually what we are trying to uh, teach the market as well. Uh, before I joined Cognizant, I was using uh, Cognizant's competitor uh, as a marketer. <laughs> and I know that how much it is capable of, how much these tools are capable of. And the first thing I did when I came to Cognizant was like, okay, can you give me an account without any credit limit? And uh, yeah, I started making like millions of contacts. Uh, and it's been a year still I'm using all of these Cognizant contacts because it is actually a marketing product. It is 50% sales, 50% marketing product. It is just about the marketers. If you find out how to use it, you can use it. And in your case, it feels like uh, you found your way. And I hope it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm confident. This is one I'm more confident about, even than the, uh, the example I gave you that failed. I'd like to come back to you in a few months' time saying just how successful it's been because part of me feels like these companies have already engaged with us. Yes, they might not have booked a demo. They might have even decided the product's no good for them. But we can still get in touch with them in a different medium. And timing's everything sometimes. Cold outreach by a salesperson might catch someone busy. An email in their inbox might just be the right time on a Sunday when they're, you know, getting rid of all their emails before Monday comes around again. And that might be the one that captures their attention. Fair, fair. Like, yeah, I would love to have a follow-up episode in a couple of months and just discuss about this test. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, yeah, we are almost about uh, the end. And before I actually wrap, the, wrap this up, uh, I have one question that I always ask at the end of it. Uh, what one thing would you tell marketers to start, stop and continue doing based on the current marketing landscape and based on what you're experiencing? Probably a, a li little biased in terms of start doing. Um because of the product we create that's that's about promoting individual brands as part of a bigger uh, marketing effort but start marketing yourself if you're a marketer and you can't market yourself i think you're going to really struggle over the course of your career to to properly market another entity or other people um any opportunity such as this one to practice your talking skills you know articulating what you actually do as a day job you don't do it in the day job. So talking to someone like yourself, a peer in the industry, someone with different experience, whether that's on a podcast or, or whatever, or just a, just a meeting, just a private conversation, start talking more about what you do uh, and don't be afraid to ask for help from, from like-minded people. So yeah, really just be brave and put yourself out there. It's not easy, uh, but the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Um, stuff to stop doing just d stop trying to be everywhere um it's it's impossible and new channels will crop up every single year they'll mainly be social stuff or there'll be almost like a diversification of an old social channel like what was it earlier this year threads or whatsapp start doing announcements or something that you can push it takes one person in the business to see that headline and go are we doing this yet if you jump on every one of them, you will fail. Um, so right. You are so right. You are so right. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? Um, and the, con the continue, I'd say, um, 
if you're confident that there's there's even sometimes gut feel, but certainly if you've got some sign that something's starting to gain traction and work, keep doing it. Like have the volition to say to your bosses, even if something's perhaps running at a loss after three months, if you're still confident there's indicators showing that this will just take time, like go for it. Even if it failed after six months, you had the data at three months to say, keep going, don't. And again, that's from my own lessons of pulling the handbrake on stuff because I'm overly worried that at month three, we've spent more than we've brought back. Actually at month six, you might be bringing in triple. So I'm not saying just blindly plow ahead with everything you start, but you don't have to have hit revenue returns to see that something might work. In our case, are we getting demos from this new territory? Yes. Well, we've not converted any, so we've not got revenue. But the new territory is new for the sales team. So it might take them a little while to convert because they're learning what's different in the new territory. That doesn't necessarily mean marketing's failing because there's no revenue. Look at the, you know, well, you call it a, a leading indicator ultimately. Have you got positive leading indicators and keep going? The, the, the money will come, we hope. Amazing. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Kieran. It was such an amazing podcast. And thank you, mate. I I just appreciate the time and the invite because, like I said throughout the call, I've watched many a um, webinar and stuff where you you've imparted your knowledge on on the paid side of things. I think you've you know the whole team at Cognizant's doing some fantastic stuff that other marketers are looking up to and looking for for inspiration so just to be invited on was a pleasure it's nice to have a chat with you great to hear thank you for your time and have a great friday and have a great weekend kieran you too come thank you bye bye